Welcome to Starting Points, a Faith on Hill podcast. This podcast goes through the books of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation, and all the major sections of the Bible. It's designed to be a starting or a restarting point to a person's study, reading, engaging with, understanding the Bible, which we believe to be the Word of God. We are now in the prophetic section of the Old Testament, and we are looking at the writings of the prophet Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He wrote one of the largest books of the Old Testament, this major prophetic work. He is quoted. Uh, he is um, referenced. He, he prophesied about things in his day. He prophesied about uh, things yet to come with the Messiah. And yet, he could argue, be argued as a failure. The nation didn't repent. They didn't listen to him. Um, he ended his life in sort of obscure exile. It's kind of an interesting uh, thing to think about how what we might define as success. You know, God saw Jeremiah and said, you did what I asked you to do. Good job. Well done, faith, good and faithful servant. And we might look at it and say, oh man, he didn't, he didn't do this, this, and that, you know, failure. But he wept as though he said he's known as the weeping prophet because he wept over, over the fate of his people and his nation. And uh, He even tried at one point to stop. He's, he's like, I'm done. Uh, I, I don't want to prophesy anymore. I'm, I'm good now. And uh, he said, I just, uh, he, I can't. It, it, he said, the word of God was just welling up in me. And, uh, and, and he said, I just, I couldn't do it. In, in Jeremiah chapter 20, he talks about how like it just burned in him. He had to speak out the words God was giving him. Um, man, that's something we can all identify with. I think at times, you know, wanting to do the right thing, wanting to do what we're supposed to do. And then you just feel like you're going to, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to throw in the towel. I don't, I don't have anything left in the tank. And, and, and God just keeps working in us and changing us and shaping us. Now, Jeremiah prophesied during the reigns of five kings, but that doesn't mean that, you know, his prophecy was, was such an incredibly long time. Um, you know, some of these kings did not reign very long. You know, one of them, I think, reigned about three months uh, he prophesied during the reigns of Josiah, Jehoiaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. And some of these guys had, you know, longer reigns, but some of them, like I said, three months, very short. Um, we're not 100% sure when things were, were written down, when certain things happened. There isn't necessarily a chronological order so much as before this time, during this time, after this time. So in chapter 1, Jeremiah is called. He receives the calling from God to speak out as a prophet to the, uh, the nation, to the southern kingdom of Judah, to Jerusalem, and to its kings. And then chapter 2 through chapter 20 is basically everything before Zedekiah's reign. And Zedekiah was the last king of Judah before the Babylonians came and, and took everyone away in the captivity. Uh, so he prophesied during Josiah. Uh, Jehoiaz, uh, Jedekiah, and uh, or Jehoiakim, and then Jehoiachin, and so everything in chapter two through chapter twenty is during the reign of those guys, which wasn't very long. But we don't know, you know, which prophecy was under which king and all that. Then, uh, chapter twenty-one through twenty-nine happened during the reign of Zedekiah, the last king of Judah. And then, chapter thirty through thirty-nine, he speaks to the future to the 12 tribes of Israel, 
Uh, Judah's captivity is coming near. So he's speaking to the people, hey, this is going to happen. Just so you know, you are going to go and uh, be taken away, but don't worry, God's going to bring you back. You might remember uh, when we studied the book of Daniel a couple years ago, Daniel was reading the writings of the prophets and thought, oh man, it was foretold that our people would be taken away. We'd be taken away for 70 years and then we'd be brought back in the land. And so the Daniel begins to pray in response to reading the word of God. And then of course, people like Ezra and Nehemiah led people back from Babylon to Jerusalem and they started to rebuild the city, the temple and the walls. So Jeremiah was influential in, in future generations with his writing. Uh, then he prophesied to those who were going to be left. There was a handful of people, a remnant, who were left sort of trying to eke out a living in Jerusalem and Israel uh, after the cap, you know, majority of the nations taken away in captivity, so he speaks to them. Chapter 42, 40 through 42 is those prophecies. Chapter 43 through 51, um, Jeremiah spends his last days living in Egypt in exile, and during that time he prophesies to the nation of Egypt, he prophesies to some of the nations that surrounded Israel uh, because they had helped in, in uh, you know, the, the plunder of Israel, and so God had some things he wanted to say to them, and he spoke to the people who were there with Jeremiah in Israel. And then chapter 52 uh, is about the fulfillment of the prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, because the captivity in Babylon, I think what happens is people think uh, the Babylonians came, and then they took everyone in Jerusalem away, and they killed whoever was left, and that was it. But what really happened was the Babylonians came, and they took some people away as hostages, and left a puppet king in charge, and you're going to do uh, you know, what we want you to do. And then they didn't. So then they came back, took more people, you know, just destroyed more things and then left. And then finally said, all right, you guys were taking everyone, we're destroying the city and you're done. And that's what happened in chapter 52. Now there's no record of his death. He likely died in exile in Egypt. The first question we always ask on this podcast is what's the human story? You know, have you ever felt pain, despair, hopelessness. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, like I said a minute ago, and his ministry might have been considered at the time a failure that, you know, he didn't, he didn't get the nation to turn around. Nobody listened to him. You know, at the time he kind of was living in exile and obscurity. He might've thought, oh man, nothing's going to come of this. He has no idea that in 70 years, Daniel will read his writings and be inspired to move and take action. And that people like Ezra and Nehemiah will be fulfilling words in just 70 years time. You know, children, that were born in Jeremiah's day lived to see the fulfillment of his prophecy. There's also um, things like, you know, he sends a message of hope in chapter 29. There's this first group of captives, like I said a minute ago, that were taken from Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And so Jeremiah sends a message of hope and encouragement. Hey guys, just so you know, you won't be there forever. Jeremiah spends quite a bit of time in prison. He's imprisoned by the king or different officials. Um, and so, you know, you're talking about human story. Here's Jeremiah's persecution. He's just trying to sp speak the words of the Lord. He's trying to call people to repentance. He's trying to speak words of encouragement, and they throw him in jail. He's imprisoned again in chapter 37, and then again in chapter 38. You know, he spent quite a bit of time. Sometimes it wasn't a jail cell. Like, that would have been nicer. There was actually one point where they basically threw him into, um, like, it's, it's, it's a little hard for me to tell because you're translating ancient words. They threw him into some kind of hole. And whether that hole was used for collecting water or collecting waste is a little unclear to me. But he basically is there in the muck and the mire, just sitting there waiting to die. 
And there, that was the plans. We aren't going to kill Jeremiah because we don't want to kill the prophet in case he really is speaking for God. But we will just throw him in this hole. And if he starves, that's not our fault. And of course, God delivered him and, and made him out. But here he is just going through all this stuff. He's trying to send words of hope and encouragement. There he is persecuted. He's trying to send, you know, uh, speak the word of God. There he is thrown into pit. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're just trying to do the right thing? You're just trying to like, I'm just trying to do what's right. And it feels like you're getting nowhere. It feels like you're just spinning your wheels. Jeremiah understands that. Now, one of the second question we ask is, what are the landmines? Some books of the Bible, there's not that many. You know, Psalms doesn't have that many landmines. But the idea is, hey, what, what are the chapters that like people find and go, oh my goodness, that's in the Bible? Or, hey, you know, there's always these parts of the Bible that like critics of the Christian faith, like they just have ready on hand. Hey, what about this part? Do you know about this? Ha ha, I've got you now. As if, yeah, I know about that. I've read the Bible. Jeremiah has some interesting ones. Now, first of all, Jeremiah in chapter 16 was forbidden to get married. God told Jeremiah, you are not supposed to get married. Now, I guarantee that this is not the favorite verse of any like singles group in the church or college and career or what have you. Um, I don't believe that this is in any way prescriptive or supportive of uh, things like the, the Catholic church with not letting priests get married. God had a specific call for Jeremiah to not get married. I have met people who God has given a similar calling to. Uh, I, I know people who just, you know what, that's what they're, that's what they're about. Uh, that they aren't supposed to get married. They've got other things going on in their life. And I'm not talking about like the old confirmed bachelor, which was, you know, the celib celibate uh, homosexual. I'm talking about somebody who's straight, who's just God said, don't, don't get married. And I don't think this is speaking to anyone else. I mean, there was another prophet, Hosea, who was kind of contemporary of Jeremiah, and he got married because God told him to get married. So you get this thing, though, where there's this unique situation. This is usually where a landmine comes from. Something is unique in the Bible. Something doesn't happen normally. Something is like, oh my goodness, what's happening here? And then people try to make it normative, this unusual thing, this unique thing, this thing that doesn't happen often. Then people try to act like it happens all the time. Jeremiah was told not to get married. That was unique to him. It's not, I don't think it's prescriptive to any other group or people or what have you. Now, in chapter 13, there are two things that are hard for us to wrestle with the way our culture is. And I don't mean that as a knock on our culture. I just think this is one of those things that's hard. It's not a knock on our culture. It's not a knock on Jeremiah's day. But in chapter 13, there are two different um, metaphors that are used and one is, is a metaphor that, that describes uh, sexual assault, and, and it's, it's really brutal. Another metaphor involves a kind of a racial comment, and uh, one that I think we're just understandably very sensitive to. My feeling is this. I can accept that something in our day can mean one thing, and it can mean something different somewhere else in some other time in some other place. And so... I'm going to choose to just, generally speaking, on something like this, say, you know what? That one's really hard for us to process. But I'm going to trust in the context of things that what was going on was not meant to be offensive. What was happening was meant to, uh, you know, basically try to, like, get somebody's attention. And, and we're not going to, like, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, man, that's how I would speak now. 
but it might have been appropriate then. And so I'm going to say, you know what? Know the day and place that you're in. And so when people try to like preach Old Testament style, um, you know what? Maybe that's not the way to go because maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> there's going to be a, 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 a communications barrier is what I'm looking to say. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine. He's not a Christian guy. We were just talking about branding. He works um, in in graphic design, in branding. He works for these different companies and uh, puts together websites and puts together their social, like he, he's contracted by some smaller companies to run all their social media, things like that. And we were talking about branding and, and communication, messaging through graphic design and, and advertising. And one of the things we were talking about was how he was talking about something that frustrates him um, in the community. And I said, well, you know, the problem is, is that all of the branding and the messaging are written by one group of people, but the people they're trying to talk to are in a different group and they're not speaking their language. And he thought about it and he said, you know what, you're right. And, and where I think this comes from is the church can either speak the language of this present day or we can speak the language of a different day. There's a guy named Ed Stetzer. Uh, he's a, a doctor. He, he leads a um, graduate school program at, at Wheaton uh, back in Illinois, and he's a very, very bright man. And uh, one of the things that he said is that his, his group of churches, if it was the 1950s all over again, they'd be ready. They speak the language of the 1950s. Uh, they're ready to go. And I heard him speaking to the group of churches that I used to be involved in, and he said, hey, and if it was the 1980s again, your group of churches would be ready. And everybody laughed, but there was a truth that's really uncomfortable. Do we speak the language of today or do we speak the language of a different time? I think what's going on in Jeremiah 13 is the language of a different time. And I would not use those words or metaphors today, but I would try to get the heart or the, the idea behind them and how can I translate them in a way that is accurate and yet is communicable to our day and age. I hope that makes sense. Now, Jeremiah chapter 8 also has a little bit of a landmine uh, where it, Jeremiah is speaking to the people and he says, you say we are wise for we have the law of the Lord when actually the lying pen of the scribes has handled it falsely. The wise will be put to shame that they may be dismayed and trapped. And so what Jeremiah is saying is you think you're so smart because you have the word of the Lord of the scriptures, but he says that lying pens of the scribe is what you have. Now, we're not 100% sure what he means by that. It could be that what he is saying is that the teachings of the scribes and the scholars had been elevated to the actual scripture itself. So somebody could come along and say, oh, we have the, you know, we have Genesis and Exodus and Deuteronomies and Joshua and Judges, and they had all that in Jeremiah's day. They had everything, you know, first and second Samuel. Uh, they had those things in Jeremiah's day. And so you say, oh, we have the word of the Lord. We're so wise. We know what we're going to do. But it could be what he's saying is that the commentary of the scribes and, and, and the scholars had been elevated to equal or even a greater voice than the actual scripture. That's possible. Uh, we certainly see that in current modern Judaism, that the, the, you know, the Mishnah and these uh, different commentaries on the scripture have oftentimes greater weight. Uh, we see that in parts of Christianity. The, you know, the Catholic Church has the dogmas um, and the edicts and the bulls and all these different things. Um, 
in in Protestant Christianity, you know, sometimes it's it's a certain writer or a certain commentator gets an elevated voice, maybe larger than they should. Uh, it could also mean that there was a distortion of the scriptures. It could mean that um, there there have been poor translations of the Bible over the years. Uh, the Latin Vulgate was a translation that had a lot of errors, and then it got compounded over time. Um, so when they translated the Bible into German and English, those were the first two major Bible translations in a long time during the Reformation. Uh, many, many scholars traveled to places like Greece, uh, Egypt, Turkey, and got older manuscripts that were in Greek, in Hebrew, to compare them to the Vulgate. And then they said, oh man, the Latin version of the Bible is really, uh, has some issues. And, and then we got the Dead Sea Scrolls to check those things. So it could be that either they were using a um, edited version of, of the scripture that fit the narrative of the wicked kings more, or it could be that the opinions of people had been elevated to that of Holy Scripture. Either one is bad. Either one we've seen played out in our own day. Either one is possible, could be both. Now, those are the landmines. The question, the last question, the most important question is, where is Jesus seen? Where is Jesus seen in Jeremiah? Jeremiah has actually quite a few prophetic um, prophecies, you know, about or prophetic prophecies, messianic prophecies. Uh, he prophesies about the death of the Messiah, Jeremiah chapter 11. Uh, he gives us some insight into the church uh, in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 14, um, he talks about, uh, you know, basically calling a people out. Um, talks about the Messiah being of the branch of David, born a descendant of David, Jeremiah 23 and Jeremiah 30. He speaks about the massacre of the infants in Bethlehem uh, that happened after the visit of the Magi, and that's in Jeremiah 31. Uh, he speaks about the incarnation, Jeremiah 31. He speaks about the new covenant in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31 is actually a very uh, important, but also... Um, just, just key verse, Jeremiah uh, chapter 31, in verse 31, it says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In verse 34, they will no longer teach their friends and relatives to know the Lord. Everyone from least to greatest shall know me, for I will forgive their iniquity and no longer remember their sins. So what Jeremiah is saying is like, hey, you know, it's not just that we have this covenant, it's going to be a new covenant is coming. So the idea that Jesus fulfilled the old covenant and brought us a new covenant is actually not just an, a New Testament invention, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, specifically here by the prophet Jeremiah. Prophesied the forgiveness of sins, uh, he prophesied the coming of the you know, Messiah being of the line of David, Jeremiah 33. Uh, prophesied the everlasting covenant in both Jeremiah 32 and Jeremiah chapter 50. Um, in Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 5, he says, Come, let us join ourselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant, never to be forgotten. This is different than the old covenant that they were in. The, the, for them, it would have been the current one. He's talking about something new. Then, um, <clears throat> So all throughout the scriptures, Jeremiah is seen. Jeremiah is prophesying the coming of the Messiah. He, he says, hey, you guys have no hope in yourself. The Babylonians are coming and they will destroy us. But there's one who is coming who will save us. There is one who is coming who will forgive us of our sins. There is one who is coming who will bring an everlasting covenant. The days are coming, Jeremiah, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 33, verse 14, when 
God will fulfill the promises that he made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, I will make a shoot spring up for David, and he shall do what is right and just in the land. And in those days, Judah shall be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell in safely. This is the name they shall call Jerusalem. The Lord is our justice. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a successor on the throne of the house of Israel. So he's prophesying this new covenant, this new system. Uh, if you want to know what he's talking about, I, I, I'm in a shameless plug here. Go back and check out the last couple chapters of Revelation from our Sunday morning Bible studies. Uh, but Jeremiah is key to understanding what led to the captivity in Babylon. He's key to understanding the necessity of Israel returning to the land. He is key to understanding the prophecies that there was always going to be a new covenant and the new covenant would be brought as the Messiah, the, uh, the heir or the, the son of David comes and makes things right. I love the idea that Jerusalem will be called the Lord is our justice. In Jeremiah's day, there was very little justice in Jerusalem. In our day, it seems like justice is hard to find. Corruption is rampant. But we can trust what the Lord will bring. New life, new hope, a renewal and restoration of all things. And I'm thankful for the writings of Jeremiah encouraging us to look for that day as our great hope and salvation. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of Starting Points. You can follow us at Faith on Hill on social media. You can check out audio versions on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You just have to search Faith on Hill, and you can find the video versions on our YouTube page and our Facebook. We appreciate the likes, subscribe, the shares, all the social media things. We'll see you next time for another episode of Starting Points.